Hi, and welcome to the Unashamedly Human Podcast, a podcast created to help you get out of your head and into your life. That is, if you want to have more fun, freedom, happiness, peace of mind, and success whilst squeezing the juice out of every area of your life. Join Jackie Ford every Thursday and listen in to her warm Scottish tones, wise heart and wonderful sense of humour as she interviews guests and discusses what it means to be unashamedly human. Today I am joined by Dr Linda Pettit, one of my most favourite women in the world. She is a beautiful soul, a beautiful soul who has spent many years in her life finding truth as a journalist and articulating truth both as um, a psychologist and now as a psychologist who works from a new understanding of the mind that is changing lives in ways that people really didn't think possible. So Linda, thank you so much for joining me today. It's, it's lovely to have you with me. Oh, thank you, Jackie. It's always uh, a treat to be with you. <laughs> and, and I feel very honoured to be asked. So thank you. Oh, it's, it's me that should be honoured, Linda. It's, it's very rare in life to meet someone who you feel just generally vibrates at the same level as you do that there, there is an understanding there without words there is time that can pass but when we get together again it's like time hasn't passed at all and there's nothing on it you know it's kind of like oh, I haven't spoken for three months yay how are you doing you know and <laughs> yeah. that's rare as well it's that whole thing about being and living in the moment and just being not attached to all the silly drama that people can have around friendships and relationships, etc. Which is really lovely. Now, the reason I wanted you to join me, Linda, today on the podcast was, I know we've had some beautiful conversations in the past about the universal intelligence behind life, about mind, about God, about Buddha, whatever you want to call the formless energy that we all try to explain. Um, but really fail to do so because of its magnificence and its, its infiniteness really in life. But this is a conversation that we're going to invite people to settle into themselves, to really settle into themselves as they listen to us talking. Because when you understand that you are not the person on the racing horse trying to get to the end of the race and win, in fact, you are on a rocking horse on the back of a truck. You start to understand, you know, control is something that has nothing to do with us. And I couldn't think of anybody that I wanted to discuss this topic with more than you. So, Linda. <laughs> Nervous laughter from Linda now. <laughs> What do I have to offer you? <laughs> where is this going? Oh my God, where is this going? <laughs> Linda, soul shifts. What does is, what is a soul shifting mean to you? And, and how have you experienced that in your life? Mm. Well, the first thought that comes to mind is that it's it's always something connected for me about seeing love deeper mm -hmm. and 
seeing, seeing, seeing the beautiful in something more deeply to the degree sometimes that that challenges, um, that has challenged me to, and sometimes not in easy ways, to blow past previous beliefs or concepts or other people's <laughs> beliefs <laughs> concepts mm-hmm. uh, in ways that sometimes were pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Can but, you give us an example? Yeah, you know, I, I actually can. And, and, um, and I, in doing so, I hope, I hope I don't offend anyone's sensibilities, but that's not the point of this, but my, my first husband, my late husband who died in an accident in 1999, uh, I met him when I was in my twenties and the day I met him, he was actually, um, and, and I, I can share this publicly because he shared it publicly all the time. He had no sense of embarrassment or shame or reservation about it. He was just so grateful that he, he got his life back. But he, um, he was actually going into treatment for alcoholism. And he was a priest. He was a Roman Catholic priest. And I, I met him at his sister's house. It was very just, you know, fortuitous meeting. And, but I was really drawn to him and really had the sense that this was, this was one of the kindest, deepest men I had ever met in my life. And there was a gentleness about him that mm-hmm. really, frankly, I don't know I've ever met anyone who I experienced that as deeply. And it was just a, just, he was just a gentle soul. And fast forwarding, uh, you know, a number of months later, as part of his treatment, he decided to take a leave of absence from his um, religious vows and, and to, to go into what in the Catholic church is called a period of discernment. Mm-hmm. About whether to stay a priest or not, and uh, and in that period of time, he and I began very innocently to uh, take rides together on his motorcycle, and we d- we became friends. And as his discernment process continued, and as he made a decision to leave the um, the, the priesthood. Uh, our relationship deepened into something much bigger. And, you know, we subsequently got married and had a beautiful child and and had a beautiful relationship for 25 years before he died. But when I first began to share with people that, that we were in love, some people met that with appreciation and embraced it. Uh, and some didn't. Some were very bothered by uh, the fact that he was a priest and was resigning from his priesthood. Now, this was at a time in the Catholic Church where that was happening a lot. Yeah, there was just sort of a mass exodus of many clergy from, from the church. So, but it was at a tender time when people just didn't know what they thought about it. And so here I was, a young woman. I was 25 years old. And I was deeply in love with the man, and yet I was getting a lot of messages that that the love that I had for him was not okay, mm-hmm. and that it it couldn't be sanctioned, and that I should sort of step back 
because somehow I was getting in the way of, of a, a vocation that he had, you know, and, and that really forced me to go inside to listen to my wisdom and to hear my truth. And what I kept following was a sense that it just wasn't possible for a love that seemed to be bringing out the best in both of us to be bad or wrong. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and that, that just required me to step out of my beliefs and, and to respectfully acknowledge the beliefs of others, but not to let those beliefs stop me from mm -hmm. following my own wisdom. And I, I look back at that, and I, in, a, in a way I think of it as, you know, sort of I had to grow up really fast. Uh, and, but, but at another level, it was, it was really not about that at all. It was just really becoming more conscious of a, a wisdom that was unfolding from within me and having the courage to follow that. Mm -hmm. And I've never regretted or doubted that we did the right thing. I mean, what 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 came from that was a a beautiful relationship and a beautiful experience of life and a beautiful child who now has her own child and 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 yeah, we both we both got an incredible experience in the context of a human relationship to know love unfolding and so i would say that was a big shift in my soul mm -hmm. and i really do see it as a choice point because i can remember during that period during that period you know being afraid mm -hmm. well, maybe i shouldn't do this or maybe this isn't right or what if other people are right or what if i go to hell for the rest of my life and and then listening within and and just no 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 maybe maybe my understanding of god is way too small mm -hmm. and and i don't know where that will lead me but i somehow know it's okay to just ask the question live the question and move forward and so so that comes to mind as a big shift for me is yeah. is seeing love following love and having the courage to follow love mm -hmm. I, I mean it sounds like a really really deep knowing a really deep knowing that that's what you were to do so that you could you could ride the waves of the uncertainty of the other people's opinions but you knew deep inside of yourself and obviously inside of your your husband's self as well that you knew you were meant to be together When I met Jerry, I, I had that same feeling. I think he was the first man that I'd ever met in my life where my mind went quiet, absolutely quiet. You know, I had no thinking, there was no game playing. I felt completely safe, but there was this beautiful element of, there was a frisson, there was, there was excitement there as well. And I think that was probably one of my first times that I noticed that within a relationship that there was this deep knowing, this, this shifting of my soul towards what was meant for me rather than what I thought was meant for me. Mm. 
And that was a real blessing to feel that. And I know that you had a beautiful relationship with your husband. I did. And, and it, you know, it's fascinating to go through something like that with another human being who's also going through it. I, I think that Jim was also uh, sharing with me that he was in a process of what is the right thing? Where is my heart taking me? And we were both really prepared to surrender, in a sense, our personal experience of love if there was a deeper experience that was guiding us in other, on other paths, if it was important for him to stay on his path as a missionary and it was important to stay on my path um, as a young woman early in her career and, and all of that. But, you know, the more we listened, the more it seemed to us that no, we were meant to walk the next stage of the path together. And that was, it was, it was beautiful to me to see that wisdom, when you're quiet and you listen deeply and you're prepared to surrender, mm. you're prepared to surrender the personal thoughts about the way something should turn out, then wisdom never guides you in opposite directions. You know, two people aren't guided in opposite directions. We heard the same thing. Mm own time it wasn't exactly I think I heard it a little first <laughs> we, we both had our own processes with that but oh and I'd love to have been a fly in the wall when you were having those conversations because they sound so so deep and and gentle there's a gentleness to to what you're describing yeah they were uh not always not always easy but conscious they were conscious i mean we we were doing so and i don't i don't know i certainly did not have an understanding of consciousness very much of an understanding of consciousness at that point but but there was an awareness that there was something behind life unfolding that had nothing to do with our personal eye if that makes any sense yeah so but but it didn't come without pain like you know i remember one time right near the end of the whole process where had kind of come to a place where I realized that I was so deeply personally in love with Jim that if he decided that he was going to return to his vocation and go on with his missionary work, that I was going to have a hard time coming back from that. I felt my vulnerability in that. And I said to him, I, I just know that this is the time has come for me for there to be a decision mm -hmm. one way or the other. I'm okay with whatever way it goes. But, but, I, but I just can't live with this ambivalence much longer. And, and he said, you know, I know I'm feeling that too. But uh, he said, I just need to take off for a while. And so he took off on his motorcycle. And I didn't have a clue where he was. He was driving around the country. Mm -hmm. Just trying to, to stay quiet and listen and, and hear what was most deep within him. So for those two weeks, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I'd just like to mention at this point, Linda's a feisty redhead. <laughs> so for, I understand. <laughs> yeah, the word, uh, there were probably a few words that I shouldn't repeat on. <laughs> that periodically would come up into my head as I, you know, thought about, oh my gosh. And, and, uh, and then, you know, then we kind of knew. Uh-huh. And it, it, it's, 
It's space, isn't it? So in many ways, what you guys created was this space of neutrality and and, and no contact, really, Mm -hmm. to be able to let it figure itself out rather than trying to force it one way or the other. And I think a lot in relationships, people try to force their opinion or their direction on a relationship instead of letting it unfold the way that it's meant to because we've got something on it because we feel love is something we have to have something on rather than love is, it's who we are. Yeah, and you know, another another really good example of that kind of popped into my head. Fast forwarding, so um, my first husband unfortunately died in an auto accident, and then I think I was widowed for about three years, and I bump into Bill Pettit, my, my current husband, and I really had not thought that I would ever meet anyone again, and I had not thought that I would ever want to marry again, N- not because not because my first marriage had been difficult, but more because I thought, oh, I don't ever want to have to go through losing someone again. Mm. That, was, that was not easy. And, and so then all of a sudden I meet Bill, and we, we met and were married within six months. So it was a pretty fast relationship, fast courtship. And, but, but as we were making a decision to get married, I just got into so much thought oh my gosh, Uh, I never thought I would marry again. Oh my gosh, this guy is a really big personality. It's almost, he's almost overwhelming at times to me. Oh my gosh, he has four kids. (laughs) (laughs) I have one (laughs) and I have a really, really nice life with her. You know, do I really want to get involved in this? And, and Bill's kids are lovely and they're, and they're very big spirits. I mean, they're very, very um, fun and friendly and, and like Bill, very, very full of life. And, but I, and I was, you know, I'm just really quiet. And I was really wrestling Jackie with that. Mm. I, I remember clearly walking one day in the rain. I was living in West Virginia. I was on a beautiful country road under my umbrella. Rain was really coming down and I'm, sort of pounding the pavement, thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. Uh, there's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. And, and, and I remember thinking to myself, um, if I know one thing, I know that the, and I, and I didn't know anything about the three principles understanding at this point that you and I have both been aware of, but I, if I know one thing, I know that the answer is not going to be found in all of this craziness that's going mm-hmm. on in life. yeah that life has told me that over and over again that you don't follow the craziness that goes on in your head you listen for something that feels much righter and truer mm-hmm. and and in that on that walk I can even feel and see the moment where it there was just a knowing there's nothing are meant to be together and the rest of this will all work out and you know I remember the experience of just because I had actually been sobbing I'm like good lord I've done it again just created all this emotional drama (laughs) (laughs) and the answer is so clear and that was it 
you know, that was it. And went forward and and it all worked out. But in that moment, I did experience, I think, that soul shift you're talking about. Yeah. That I went to a place where, you know, there was just a new thought that came through that said, you know, you're, you're guided. You're guided. Yeah. You're not in control of this. Things are going to happen. Yes, it's going to be different, but you'll be guided. You'll be okay. Yeah. And it was way more than okay. It's been an incredible experience. Yeah. I love the way you articulated that. The soul shift is just another fresh thought that takes you in to this deeper knowing of, of, of who you're meant to be, how you're meant to live at that particular moment. And that that's it. It's it's beyond question. It's like the end of a sentence. There's no and, there's no but, there's no so. It's just that's it, isn't it? Boom, done. Yeah. That's beautiful, yeah. really beautiful. And and just before we came on the podcast, Lynn. Sorry? Well, I was gonna say, and I know you've experienced lots of moments like that too, because we talked about it. Yeah. And it's gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, it's just phenomenal. My um, one of my daughters, um, Lauren, is visiting her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was out and traveling the East Asia, and so she decided she would meet him in Vietnam at the last leg of his trip. And she was before she went, Linda. She was um, sitting her second year exams at university. She was working to make money for the trip. She was packing up her flat, trying to find a new flat and trying to get organised for the holiday. And about three weeks before she went, I said to her, have you got a visa, Lorna? Are you organised? And she said, oh, mum, I've read it. I can get it when I'm there. It's not a bother. I thought, fantastic. And we got to the airport. And you know when you hand your documents over and they take a while <laughs> and they're frantically on the keyboard doing stuff? And sort of I was just smiling away and I thought, oops. <laughs> and the woman said to her, do you know, Lauren, um, have you got a visa? And Lauren said, oh, I don't have a visa, but I can get one when I'm there. And the lady said, well, our policy is we can only put you on the plane if you come back in 15 days. You will, you know, because you don't have a 30-day visa because that's all you can get for Vietnam. And Lauren was meeting her boyfriend at the airport. And so she was immediately time traveling to some other place, you know, and, and, and what was happening in her mind. And I said, I'll just get on the plane. I said, well, change your flight. It cost me money to change your flight. Change your flight. Get your boyfriend to organise when you're, you know, your, your visa. Make sure it's all there for when you land. I said, and when you're there, we'll figure out how to get you back. So once you got there, everything worked out. And, you know, I changed her flight again. So I think I paid more to get her there and get her back on the change of flight than she paid for her actual flight. <laughs> But it was that, that knowing, that trusting, look, go on the flight, it'll work out. Don't worry about it. And don't worry about coming back. Everything's going to be okay. It's always okay. You know, it's, it's, there's always a way to figure this stuff out. And she's coming back tomorrow and she sent me a wee message and she said, thank you so much, mum, for not making a drama out of this. Uh. And I said, Lauren, there was no drama. There was just options. Yeah. Do you know? And it's, it's, that's what I love about living in this of deeper space, this deeper knowing of life is that 
if I'm going to a place of drama, it's me that's off kilter. It's got nothing to do with her. <laughs> because life is presenting me, presenting us with choices, you know, her choices of what she could and she couldn't do. And that's all there was. So that was the end of the sentence. And then she said, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't really want to make a mountain out of a molehill with this holiday. And I said, Lauren, there are no mountains and there's no molehills. There's only experience. Mm. Experiences teaches us about life. When we start to get into that place where we're saying that was a good experience and that was a bad experience, then what we're doing is we're limiting our potential to see the lesson in the experience. And I love that. I love that. I don't have to put a label on anything. And teaching my kids, they don't have to put a label on anything. You can just live. Live and whatever happens, happens. But you show up. So your relationship with, with you know, your previous husband is beautiful because that's what you guys did. You, there, was, there was labels people wanted to apply. But within that deeper, <clears throat> excuse me, that deeper feeling that you were living in and you were experiencing together, that didn't make sense to you. But when we were, I don't know why I told you that story, but anyway. Well, it's a beautiful illustration. It's yeah. Beautiful. But, but we were talking. Yeah. yeah. See, to, 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 <laughs> do you know, Linda, that, that's, that's the way I, that's, life is. We overcomplicate it, don't we? We completely overcomplicate it. And I know that we need our intellect and we need our experience. You know, we need, we need, we need that to have a full experience of life. So the intellect and the heart, we need them both. Because living from one and not the other, we don't get the full experience of, of what's going on. But I think the reason I told you the story was because I wanted to wind it back to Lauren, my youngest daughter. We'd been speaking before the podcast came on about about a new understanding seems to be coming through our children and our grandchildren that a lot of people actually call these these children indigo indigo children and mm-hmm. um, my daughters I've always felt you know they're intuitive they're empathic and you were talking about your grandson and I just think that is such a beautiful story because again you being a grandmother, I see a shift in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. I uh, and I don't know exactly how to stop that sound. Um, yeah, this this notion of the indigo children is has been around now for quite some time. I mm-hmm. first I, heard, I first heard of it probably back in the late nineties. So, you know, for those of you who might not be familiar with it, it is it is that there is a sense that somehow there are the children who are coming into the world these days are coming in at a new level of understanding, a new uh, that they that they are more somehow deeply connected to their common sense and wisdom and love. Um, and there's even there's even discussion in a lot of circles that, for example, that we're in a really big transition time right now. And that even, uh, even that, that as we see more and more children being diagnosed with things like ADHD or, uh, or on the autism spectrum, that actually what we're seeing is the evolution of a new processor 
yeah. that, that is going to be very different from the processor that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, just somehow, I just feel that there's a rightness in that. Mm-hmm. And, and I get aware, even as I think about my, my daughter and her generation, she's, she's, a, she's in her mid thirties. And I think about her and I think about um, my stepchildren and they have, they have an uncommon wisdom and love where they see beyond boundaries, they see beyond concepts, they are much more likely than I think my generation on the whole to live from their heart and to mm-hmm. trust what comes from their heart. Now, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm not saying that they're, you know, perfectly, but I'm not saying they're not either, but, <laughs> but they, I, I so appreciate that. I remember one one day I was in um, this. I was in Morgantown, West Virginia. We were still living there, and Bill was away somewhere. And I went to the gym. And after I left the gym, I thought oh, I'm going to go have some breakfast. And I went and I sat in a restaurant. My, I think it was an IHOP. And there was a table full of young people, probably twenty of them. And so I could hear their conversation. And they had just participated in some kind of uh, run for some charitable event. And they were, a couple of them were talking about how they had another charitable event they were going to participate in later in the day. And they were sitting there, some of them looked like they were in their pajamas. And some of them looked like they, you know, they still had their sweaty running clothes on. And their hair was all askew. And most of the, most of the girls did not have makeup on. And, and I looked at them and I thought, oh my gosh, when I think back to my own days in college, that would never have happened. Mm. One, we didn't have that level of social conscience. Two, or at least the people I hung around with didn't. And I hung around with some really wonderful, beautiful people. Two, we were always worried about whether we had our makeup on and what our hair looked like and whether we were dressed. And, and, and these kids were free. They were, they were, as I sat and listened to them, I thought they're so free. And, and I remember that moment because it really was a hopeful moment for mm-hmm. me. Wow. There's so much hope. There's so much hope in this. As I look at these kids and I think about my own kids and I think about Bill's kids, that they are bringing something about an understanding of oneness that I certainly didn't see at their age. Yeah. An understanding of, following the heart and understanding of common sense that's really beautiful i remember a story that 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 lauren told me when she was in her final year of school um one of the boys he was six foot four linda and one of the boys decided that when it came to prom he was going to come out as as transgender and for prom, his mum got him made a beautiful skirt and a beautiful blouse that was appropriate for, you know, where they were holding the prom. And everybody supported that boy. Everybody supported that boy, telling him how, how beautiful he looked and how wonderful it was. And that just blew my mind that here are these kids at the time, 18, so two years ago, all of these young people who'd known this boy ever since he was at primary school or even nursery and knew him as a boy and the fact that he decided this was something he'd been living with for years. He decided that his moment of telling the world 
who, who he was and who he wanted to be was chosen to be the biggest night of the whole school year. And he was just loved, absolutely loved. Mm. <laughs> we all we all wear costumes in this life. Mm. We all experiment with different roles and and but underneath we're the same thing. Yeah. We're the same thing. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful light. A beautiful mm -hmm. light. And I know you've been seeing that light shining in your grandson. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it, he brings an uncommon joy to life mm -hmm. and, and an uncommon wonder. I, I watch him on Thursdays from nine until two. So I have him with me just to give my daughter a little, you know, a little space, personal space for herself. And, and, and I am, I just put everything aside during that time, everything and just follow him and watch him and I'm with him and play with him and interact with him. And I get, just get bowled over about uh, wonder and awe that sometimes he'll, he'll, He'll experience something, open a door, like he's recently figured out that he can open doors because he's walking now and he can reach up and get the handles and open the doors. But inside every door, it's different. Hmm. And so he opens doors and he's looking at things and he's touching things and putting things in his mouth and, you know, just exploring. And there's this sense of absorption in that, that and, and kind of awe and wonder in that. And almost like you get a sense that he has awe and wonder, even that he can remember what's behind each door. Mm. And, and, and so I'm sort of like pacing this little child around the room, kind of like experiencing the wonder and the awe with him and thinking, he's not creating my own sense of wonder and awe, but being in the presence of it wakes up my memory of what that is inside of me, of who I am, that that is who I am, that observing observer and participant in in this beautiful experience of life of being conscious of life and having wonder and awe about it and what a marvelous what a marvelous thing to have so, yeah that's such a beautiful reminder isn't it you know at a time of life where we can easily become oh what's the word kind of weary mm -hmm. to have that opportunity to, to see that in action. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was talking to, to, to Jerry the other week there about sort of old Scottish words that, that were used that were very, very wise, Linda, mm -hmm. that the meaning has just gotten lost over the years. And, and a phrase that we would often use in, 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 in Scottish language, we would say to people, Mind and not forget that. Or do you remember her? Mind, do you remember her? And mind in Scottish means remember. Uh, uh, and I got chills when, when I remembered that myself. I thought, oh my God, keep things in mind. Remembering. Mm. And what you've just described is that he's seeing things, but being reminded 
And you're seeing things and being reminded. And it all comes from this gorgeous energy of life. And it's, yeah, that is such, so beautifully said, Jackie. And, and, and it's always, the thing that I keep getting reminded over and over is that it's always there. Mm-hmm. That, that, that who we are is always with us mm-hmm. in everything. And, you know, we are in the United States right now going through a period in our history that is so challenging for so many of us. And right now we have this controversy going on about the, what's happening at our borders. And I live in a border state, so I have people all around me uh, who are who have been through what's going on and who have been affected by it's going on, what's going on because it involves their families. Mm-hmm. So we have this huge outcry right now about the fact that our government has implemented this policy of taking children from their families and putting them in prisons, cages, babies. And, and I am horrified and I have moments of deep outrage as I watch what's unfolding but I'm so grateful that I know the answer is not there. It's not in those emotions. It's it, it, that nothing good can come out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and last night I was watching television and I saw something that just touched me so deeply. It was two, two newscasters, both female and one other newscaster who was male. All three of them trying to report what was going on and getting so moved to tears that they couldn't continue. Mm. Now, that is not something that happens on television very often. I'm a journalist. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a journalist an earlier day when you were really schooled, you, know, you keep your emotions out of this thing, uh, of whatever it is that you're reporting. But these beautiful human beings were feeling their love. They were feeling their compassion they were feeling their sense of you know there's some there's something that's got to be done about this and the only thing i can see to do is to report it to share it and to share it as authentically and as beautifully as i can and and i'm watching so i'm aware i'm so aware of myself that i i move back and forth between this place of being in the personal where i get very outraged mm. that this is uh, and upset about it yeah and then going to this other place of wonder again and and wonder and the wonder takes a lot of forms like well wow look at that donations to this immigrant legal defense fund have gone off the charts suddenly they have a whole new flood of money uh, to help immigrants money that mm-hmm. hasn't been there for years and and uh, and and I see things to do, and I have wonder at the humanity that's waking up in people, and that's yeah. becoming visible and very public. And you know, and I know that's where the answer is: yeah. is to stay in that wonder and that love, and and that in that wonder and that love, anything that I can personally do is is going to be apparent to me. I th- I'm grateful that I have that understanding. I think, and that's been a soul shift. Mm-hmm. 
to, to, to see something a little more deep, deeper, a little more deeply about the personal and the impersonal. Um, I think that's huge, Linda, to see that, to see the difference between the personal and the impersonal, because it, it takes you into that loving space. A lot of people call it, a, you know, a space of neutrality. But for me, it's love because there's no judgment within that space. As you see, it's a space of, of awe and wonder and curiosity rather than a limiting space, which is really where our personal takes us. A space of limitation or working within or from within the confines of what we think we know and what we think we remember and trying to place and categorize what we know in that space yeah and and back to the original point that got me down that road is that mm-hmm. is, is is that we're pointing to is that love is always there mm-hmm. mind is always behind moving in the direction of the the evolution of greater love and understanding mm-hmm. and seeing that trusting that uh, quiets me and in that quiet i see more clearly what i can do mm-hmm. that's I beautiful can be a part of the great unfolding that's beautiful and many people are saying now that that the reason there is so much outrage and upset about things is because people are becoming more conscious, more aware. And that's why we're seeing these greater levels of people wanting to do something, wanting to change things. And I often wonder how much of that has been because of the internet? How much of that has been about us being more more aware? There's more information. But also, how much of that information has shifted our souls, has made us look deeper within ourselves? And to me, that can only be a good thing if we're consistently pointing ourselves back within to find out what is true and what is real in this moment. I I think you're so right about that, Jackie that it's interesting that the evolution has taken in the direction of having so much more information. Mm-hmm. And yet we always still have that, you know, depending on what we see, that we can become overwhelmed by that. Or we, bec- we can become more aware and, 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 and move in the direction of, loving support for this planet and each other and our oneness. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little example of that is, you know, just, I, I don't know I, that 20 years ago, I was conscious that when I make a decision to purchase something mm-hmm. that I might be supporting a, a sweatshop yeah. in another country and my own access to information has helped me become more conscious of the choices that I make. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, that is beautiful. That that's perfect, isn't it? It has made you more conscious of the choices that you're making. In the hope that something might change. It's beautiful. 
Linda, thank you so much for joining me on the Soul Shift Conversation Series. I just, oh God, I love speaking with you. I really do. That was fun, but it was also beautiful. And, 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 and I'm sure people will hear a lot within what, what we've talked about today. So lots of love to you. And thank you so much, Linda. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, Jackie. Linda, see, before you go, can you tell people how to find you? And if there's anything in particular that you've got coming up that you would like to get people to check out? Well, sure. <laughs> uh, we have a wonderful new uh, web home, a digital home at www.thedoctorspettit.com. It's a joint website that shares information about myself and my husband, Dr. Bill Pettit, who's a um, also a three principles sharer. And uh, one of the things that I'm really kind of excited about is I just uh, released a new program that's called Life as Spiritual Theater. And it starts, it's an online program for women. And it starts in September. It's an eight-week webinar series with a number of other support structures around it to help um, create a learning community for women who have interest to explore some of the ideas that we've been talking about today. Just learning to live um, more consciously with more love and more understanding. Mm, that's beautiful. I'll put all the details. Um, I'll get the link because if it's on your, your Facebook page, I'll get the link and I'll put it on and let people know all about that. That sounds like I'm a must, a must do thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Linda, lots of love and hopefully we'll speak okay. again soon. Take care. Okay. Take care, Jackie. Bye. You could be larger than life